Good morning, Joshua Generation. Sobering thought as we think about Memorial Day uh, looming, and uh, all of us have a day off. There are celebrations with uh, just having some time with your family, but that we take the time to remember why we have the right and the, the ability to celebrate together because of these lives that were sacrificed that didn't get to come home, and we remember them and are grateful for them, and uh, we want to be a part of helping these families who have lost loved ones to move forward and to recognize that God cares about them, loves them, has great plans for them going forward, and that we surround them as a nation, but as a community, as a church, to lift them up and to encourage them. We have been uh, in a series on the Joshua generation. We're bringing uh, to a near close here. Uh, this uh, particular Sunday, we're looking at something kind of interesting. Maybe you have not really investigated before. Uh, perhaps you have read about it out of Joshua chapter 20, the refuge cities, but do have never really dug in to kind of understand what this is all about. So we want to help you do that today. Joshua chapter 20, beginning at, at verse 1. These are the cities of refuge that were set up you might remember even going back to the book of Numbers uh, that God uh, giving the commands to his people. He told them in advance, when you get to uh, your promised land, you are to set up these refuge cities. And they play a very key role, important piece in the life of Israel. And uh, you will understand better why, hopefully, when we finish today. Beginning at verse 1, Joshua chapter 20. The Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into the hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of one who is the high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and we ask that you would open it to us today that we might understand better what you want to say to us as members of the Joshua generation of our time, how this is important to us and what it means for us to understand about the refuge cities and what takes place there and how you have provided that for us even in the hour in which we live right now. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive, but also that we would be that for those who are in need, a city of refuge, a place where they can begin again, 
And Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, growing up in my home, there was no refuge from my mom. Uh, <laughs> you commit a sin, uh, she executed judgment immediately, you know. Uh, there was no secret hiding place, no locking the door of your bedroom, uh, not even the closet would harbor me. Uh, if I had sinned, I mean, there was no place to hide from mom. My mom growing up was uh, the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And uh, justice was dealt swiftly. You know, that's the problem with having a stay-at-home mom. Pray about that, um, if you will, but if you get it, you're going to get it. <laughs> the stay-at-home mom was the first to find out what was going on in my life and to deal justly with those uh, particular situations. The first time that I read this passage that I shared with you today, uh, actually I was in eighth grade when I, first time I ever read, I read completely through the Bible and the first time I ever read the 20th chapter of um, Joshua and I heard about these refuge cities and I'll tell you, it was, you know, I longed for it. <laughs> Why do we not have these today? Um, you commit a sin, you have a place to go. Uh, these cities of refuge sounded like heaven on earth to me. I mean, uh, it occurred to me that uh, we should establish a city of refuge. I even mentioned it to my mom and dad. There should be a, a place of refuge right here in this house, you know. So that I get to explain things before mom uh, executes judgment. You know, there should be a place here where there's a little city of refuge. Let's declare uh, the living room to be a city of refuge someplace here. You know, at, at the age of 13, I, I wanted um, to be a, a member of the Joshua generation like never before, just because of the refuge cities. I thought, this sounds like heaven, you know, that you could run there, you have, you know, committed an offense, you can have a hearing, uh, you know, uh, amongst, you know, rational people uh, who don't really have a stake in the situation particularly, and, uh, you know, you, 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 you might have, uh, you might be able to escape judgment, right? <laughs> All of us want a second chance. Many of us are, are on our third, fourth, and fifth chances, right? We are all people who want a second chance. And, and, and God, you know, regularly provides opportunities for us to turn our life around and to get going in the right direction. The question really, though, isn't do we get a second chance with God? Um, the, the real question for us is, is when God provides these opportunities for us, will we recognize them and will we begin to act in, in a way that is necessary for us to make a turnaround in our lives? Can you recognize when God brings you into a city of refuge? I suspect some of you are in that city of refuge right now, that place uh, where God is allowing you to contemplate, to think through pathways, life decisions, things that are, have been accomplished, uh, things that have been done, and, and God is, has you right there, protected from the consequences of behaviors and actions uh, that you have made, decisions you have made, that should have brought about some swift judgment in your life, but God has provided a place of refuge for you to be protected. You know, as we look at this passage of Scripture, one of the things that stands out to me is the cities of refuge were God's idea. Isn't that amazing? Like this, you know, I thought it was a great idea when I was 
in eighth grade, you know. And, and God had this idea. It wasn't born of man. It was, it was God's idea that there would be these cities of refuge. It's great to know that God has a plan to restore you when you get broken, to provide a place for you, an opportunity for us to be restored, to be renewed, to learn freshly about forgiveness. And there's really, as we walk through this, you're going to see there's a twofold things that are taking place for people who enter the city of refuge. It's not only about, it's first and foremost, it is about the restoration of their relationship with God and, and getting in right standing where they need to be with Him. But it also is restoration with their fellow man. To, to have this, this healing work that takes place on both sides of that. There were 48 cities in Israel that were given to the Levitical, the Levite tribe. And the Levites were the expert in God's law. They were the, the priests. And there was a, uh, obviously a high priest in, among these, these cities who led the people to God's word for wisdom, for instruction. And then there were 48 cities spread across Israel that were given to the Levite tribe because God wanted all peoples to have access to the Word of God. It's, it's really the reason I believe as a pastor, every community needs a church. Everyone, every, every place that we build needs a place for people to be able to go to hear God's counsel, to hear God's wisdom, and to hear God's Word. And so God had set that up in Israel. There were 48 of these cities spread out across Israel, easy access from any of the other cities for people to go and to sit and to be in the counsel of God's wisdom. These cities spread out across Israel meant that everyone uh, had their, their, their instant access to uh, help make decisions by looking at the Word of God in light of what their decisions were that were in front of them. But six of these 48 cities were designated as refuge cities, cities of refuge. A refuge for someone who accidentally kills a nation member. This was a Jew killing a Jew. And there was a, a city of refuge. The Torah, the book of the law, allowed that the closest relative or the victim of the, of the murder of, that had taken place would be the avenger. And they were able to take out justice on this person. You, wanna, you, know, you think that we have impediments in our legal system against uh, striking down someone or killing someone? What if we lived in a world where <laughs> the closest relative of the person that you slew uh, is instantly in pursuit of you and the family is coming after you to take you down to, to execute judgment like my mom used to do in our household it was instant right and there's no courts you're not going to wait for a hundred years and uh, so because it was set up like this god provided cities of refuge when there was an accidental death the cities of refuge were for the person who committed what you and I commonly know today as manslaughter. Wasn't, uh, you know, forethought, murder, but manslaughter. The taking of a life, not on, on purpose, not with forethought, but the taking of a life by accident. How, how might this have happened? And uh, there are so many ways we see it in our own society. But uh, an example might be that two men were, were wrestling or fighting together over something in a disagreement that they had. And one pushes the other, he falls down and hits his head on a rock, he dies. 
The man was not intending to kill the other man. He, he, was, he was just angry in the moment, and, and uh, the result was this person has died. Another tragedy of the time, and in our time, I think as well, uh, we read about these things, and it, it, it breaks our hearts, but a, a mother may have rolled over in the night and suffocated her baby who was sleeping with her. This was an accidental death, something not meant to happen, and so tragic, but it sent her fleeing to a city of refuge. A person cutting down a tree with an axe, the axe head comes off, his neighbor watching nearby is struck with the axe head, he's killed, the man's intention was just to cut the tree down, and the accident resulted in the death of his neighbor. Many, many kinds of things like this that could have taken place that we know today as manslaughter. What's interesting about manslaughter, though, when we think through it from a biblical perspective, is it is the model for every sin, no matter what sin. Rabbi Moshe wrote these words, every sin on a symbolic level is murder. Why is it that every sin is like manslaughter, like murder? Sin is the taking away from the life that God intends for you and the spilling out uselessly as an offering to one's own imprisonment. Manslaughter is very much like sin in all respects. And God wanted people to have a place of refuge to be able to course correct their lives. Sin is a waste of a moment, a day, a year, a decade, a lifetime in some instances, a precious life that was given by God, murdered, so to speak, by sin, by choices and decisions that eliminate God as Lord and leader of their life, that force him uh, or push him away and push him out of their lives, that push away uh, the wisdoms of God's counsel and live a reckless life outside of God's purpose for them. Romans chapter 7 verse 5 talks about this. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in every member to bear the fruit to death. The wages of sin, it says in Romans 3.23, is death. Sin brings about death. Eventually, physical death as well, maybe even immediately, depending on the decision one is making, but Spiritual death, the killing of the life that God planned and intended for you, the murder of, of the life that God had given to you to be treasured, to be valued, to be lived inside his purpose. Paul concluded out of Romans chapter 7 regarding this passage we read and others that are here in Romans chapter 7, his conclusion about what was going on and his frustration about what was going on with this murder of life, so to speak, for all of us in sin. 
And he concludes in 724 by saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And the amazing thing about it, God's idea about the refuge cities is central to that kind of an understanding. The refuge cities provide an opportunity for us to get an answer to that question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? It is a place where we can go. Our case can be heard. We are provided a, a, a place to, to be. We are surrounded by God's counsel, Levitical city, full of priests and experts in the law, everyday conversations going on about God's word and how we may have deviated from that and how that may have wound up leading us in, in a, in a, or putting us in a position or a place wrongfully that we shouldn't be. How we get to contemplate and rethink our lives and, and where things are going. God provided a city of refuge. And what we discover is what Paul discovered and enlightens us on in, in Romans chapter 8. Who can deliver us from this body of death in the city of refuge? We discover only God can deliver us. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Roll on over to the next chapter. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I have found new life. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I have come to Christ, and he has delivered me from this body of death. Refuge cities presented an opportunity to repent, to get right with God, to get also right with your fellow man. In some of these instances, people had... Uh, a couple of those cases I gave you, the scenarios were uh, just accidental things. The, the two men fighting is, is one that's, that could be more like uh, bringing about your own judgment, right? But the mother rolling over on a child, that's an accident. A man with an axe whose axe head uh, swings loose and kills a neighbor, a complete accident. And so in these instances, those people in the city of refuge you know, may not have been in so much in the pursuit of, they, they certainly want their relationship right with God, but what they're really looking for in the city of refuge in those instances is also to be right with man. Someone who's suffered loss, someone who's grieving, someone who's hurting, who's, who's allowing hatred or anger to rise up inside of them and to sit there in that city of refuge and, and try to, to figure out how can I get right with those around me. I can imagine some letters being penned or, or some things, some conversations being sent out of the city to the ones who were hurt and wounded, to those who were victimized by the loss of life. The anguish of the person inside the refuge city saying, I'm so sorry. I want to restore a relationship with you in the time that you think is right. I want to be right with God, but I want to be right with my fellow man. The Bible is filled with stories about how God brought men and women to a place of refuge, and it's filled with stories about second chances. One of the famous ones that you and I remember out of uh, the book of Jonah is God sending a word to Jonah, and Jonah running away, and, and uh, you know, for... Uh, many of us would say, well, he lost his opportunity, he ran from God. But God in his mercy gives 
Jonah, a second chance, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's so encouraging to know that God uh, is all about bringing us back and giving us another opportunity to do things right a second time. A spiritual oasis, if you will, where you can meet with God and allow Him to recalibrate your life. You can meet with Him and allow Him to do a work inside of you that is necessary that you can humble yourself under the first word of God next time. The first time he speaks to you, you'll have first time obedience. A spiritual oasis. You may be in a city of refuge right now for some of you. And you're thinking through life decisions. And God's dealing with you. But the primary purpose of what God has brought you there for is to bring a unity about. Unity is the theme of these refuge cities. Getting right with God, getting right with our fellow man is going to bring us back to the right page. It's going to put us where we need to be in the word of God. Walking righteously with God. Right with God, right with my fellow man. And the results are unity. The city of refuge was to serve as a place from uh, the wrath of the avenger. The avenger is in pursuit, maybe even camps in some cases outside of the city of refuge for days, hoping that person will go back to see their family or, or try to, to, to leave the city for some reason. This person is, is angry. This person is upset. This person is, is seeking a, a righteous outcome, is, is about judgment. And since the Israelites... Um, the, the religious law did not provide for sacrificial, ritualistic removal of the guilt for manslaughter. The guilt of the man who killed accidentally was only removed by the natural death of the high priest. That's the only way it was removed. I want you to listen to me for just a moment because we're bringing this home right now. Let this sink into your hearts. The same God that you and I know is the God of love, that our world just wants to paint only that picture, but they want to paint a picture that is loves defined the way they want to define it, right? It's not, it has no sacrifice involved in it. You know, <laughs> there's no sacrifice in love. Love is really about getting my own way, my own lust, my own desires, you know, and and so the world wants to paint only a picture of love. If we're not careful as Christians, we can see only the cultural uh, picture of God that is being portrayed before us. But what I want you to understand this morning is God is also a holy and a just God. And he cannot live in the presence of sin. What does that mean to you and I? We are all guilty of killing God's son, and therefore God himself is the avenger. God himself is the avenger. You're in a refuge city. You're breathing. You're alive. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, illuminates us on that. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, 
Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. We were without hope. We were facing justice from a holy God who's the avenger for killing his son. And the great high priest died for us, Jesus. And we are free to walk out and to begin to re-engage in unity with God and unity with our fellow man. We can leave the refuge city once we accept the sacrifice made by the high priest on our behalf and surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives. We were without hope, facing justice from a holy God, but God prepared a way, a refuge city, a hope for us, and sent his son, the great high priest, to die on our behalf so that the avenger, the holy and the just God, does not have to execute judgment on every one of our lives for killing his son. Isn't it amazing? The great high priest gave his life that you and I might have a second chance. What the Joshua generation understands is we can exit the refuge cities and engage with our fellow men. We can exit the, the city of refuge and be on mission for God again because we have course corrected, we've surrendered, and the great high priest has given his life so that you and I can have it more abundantly. God's love is different than human love. God loves us when we were utterly unlovable. When Jesus died, he died for the ungodly, the sinners, and for his enemies, as well as he died for those who were following him. I'm inviting our worship team to come back. Paul gets to the how contrary God's love is to human love in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 7 through 8, when he says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous man. What's he saying? He says people um, aren't lining up to give their lives for good people. Thank God for, you know, our police officers, our military, and, you know, there, there are people, there are heroes uh, in, in our lives that, that, that will, that will stand up for righteousness. But he's saying it's tough to find one person who will stand between, you know, an avenger and a good person, right? We've seen it all the time, haven't we? Like where uh, something breaks out in a crowd and instead of reaching for a person, instead of trying to be the answer or the solution, people pull their phones out. They're videoing somebody being beat to death or, you know, something happening. We're, we're watching this and, and that's, that's what he's saying here. He says, it's, it's hard to find somebody who will protect a good person. Not, not even a bad a person, you know. Forget that, you know, an evil person. It's hard to find someone who will protect a good person. And then he says, though perhaps a good person, one would dare to die for him. You know, maybe there, there, there are a handful, one or two that that will, you know, that's a good person. I'm, I'm going to stand up for them. 
I'm going to stand between them and the crowd. I'm going to try to be a part of the solution. Maybe, maybe you get lucky. You're in the right place at the right time. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's saying it's hard to find somebody to stand up for a good person. Here is Jesus standing up for the most wicked and vile and evil the, the most horrible things that we have done in our life that we are so ashamed of and we have no hiding place in our hearts or minds for those things. We are blessed to think that, that, that it's, it, we think sometimes that it's a secret to us and not everybody knows. We're so ashamed. We, would, we couldn't confess it to our spouse or anyone near around us. And yet Jesus died for us in the middle of that. In the wickedness of that moment, what we were doing, and the evil of the intent of our heart, Christ said, yes, I love you. That kind of love is inexplicable. It's something that we have to experience. We can't ever get our minds around and fully understand. I want to invite you to stand with me. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love. But we also recognize that you are holy and a just God. And Lord, we invite you to come and to minister your grace and your mercy over us right now. There are some here that need to make a full surrender to you, completely giving themselves to you to recognize that they can exit the refuge city as a result of the high priest dying for them. Move in these next few moments, Lord, among us as we surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name.